Hey, Cracked fans. If you're a listener of this podcast, I imagine you feel fairly similar to how I do about the latest clothing options made available across the tennis market. Now, while I won't call out any brand in particular, I will say this. Given the exorbitant nature of the latest designs, feels like you better be pretty freaking good at tennis if you want to wear that sort of clothing on the court. Now, thankfully, we here at Crack Rackets are now able to provide a far more suitable, far more comfortable, and I'm going to be honest, far more stylish option for all of our Crack Rackets fans, courtesy of our friends over at Lucky Racket. Lucky Racket uses some of the best fitting and feeling tees in the world. Their shirts are combed, ring-spun, heirloom cotton, and tri-blend Bella and Canvas. I don't even know what that means, but that sounds spectacular. So, how can you get yourself some Lucky Racket gear? It's simple. Just go to their website, luckyracket.com, that's L-U-C-K-Y-R-A-C-K-E-T.com, and use our promo code CRACK15. If you do, you'll get 15% off all of your purchases. That means 15% off the shirts, 15% off all of the incredible swag offered by our friends. Again, that's luckyracket.com. The promo code is CRACK15. the mini break your daily podcast for the biggest storylines results and controversies from the tennis world today is friday september 3rd it was just one of those days at the 2021 u.s open a day that featured 16 round of 32 singles matches saw eight of those 16 go the distance four on the men's side four on the women's side want to break down all of that action on today's show of course the place will start we are down a defending champion, two-time U.S. Open winner 2020-2018, Naomi Osaka, your third seed here at this year's event, knocked off by Uber talented 18-year-old Canadian Layla Fernandez. I want to talk about the mechanics of that match. I want to talk about Osaka's comments after the match as well. She indicated she's not sure when she's going to next step on a tennis court, and obviously that statement, its impact on the tour moving forward, something I want to share my thoughts on here on today's show. But again, that result is just one of many. We not want, but need to break down here on today's podcast Carlos Alcaraz is no longer just a niche favorite. He's no longer going to be a tennis Twitter darling. Quite frankly, he's a mainstream star at this point. The 18-year-old Spaniard delivering the win of his career, reaching the second week at a major for hit the first time. The 18-year-old knocking off third-seeded Stefano Tsitsipas in a dramatic five-set thriller, of course, going to break down that match. We'll spend at least, I would guess, three and a half minutes talking about the Carlos Alcaraz forehand because you watch him hit it once, you're like, whoa, what was that? You watch him hit it a second time. You're like, oh my God, he did it again. The third time he does it consecutively, you start to realize how special his talent is. Want to break down all of that on the show. Of course, 
You think we're not going to talk nightcap? You think I'm not going to share my thoughts on the reason I'm up past 3 a.m. here on the East Coast recording today's podcast? Francis Tiafo getting the win he has been searching for his entire career. Five-set dramatic victory over fifth-seeded Andre Rublev in our nightcap on day five. Oh, no. I'm going to break that down. I want to talk about Francis Tiafo's transformation of his forehand into a legitimate ATP Tour level weapon. Of course, he's not the only five-set winner on the day. You also had Felix Ogier Aliassime surviving in a five-set battle against RBA for FAA. That's now three second weeks at this year's four majors. Let's talk about his progress. Talk about what looked good for him today on court. Of course, again, I mentioned the four three-setters on the women's side. Muguruza Vika, Halep Rabakina, Kerber Stevens delivering matches of the day, each on their own. I want to talk about all of them, talk about Dan Evans, come back from two sets slowed down against Alexi Popper and break down how the rest of the matches looked, preview day six as well. Of course, before we get into any of that, I do have to remind you listeners, A, if you are looking for extensive previews for day six, you're looking for, say, picks or some advice on picks you want to make in case you're trying to, let's say, put a little money in your pocket during this U.S. Open, head on over to our Great Shot podcast feed, GS. Ace of the Day segments each and every day. You can find them around 6, 7 p.m. Uh, on the Great Shot podcast feed or on our website, CrackRackets.com. Of course, we would not be able to produce all of this content without the support we get from each of you listeners day in, day out, without the support we get from our Patreon family, who, of course, are also privy to a Match of the Day segment. Yesterday, I broke down Sabalenka Collins. I said the Sabalenka serve would give her the edge. In the end, it ultimately did on day number six. I'm breaking down a fun one, and there are plenty of fun ones to choose from, but on day six, I am going with Yannick Sinner against Gael Monfils. If you want to hear that match, you want to support what we're doing here at Cracked Rackets, you can find our Cracked Rackets Patreon information on our website, crackedrackets.com. We are so grateful to all of you who already support. And of course, last but not least here on the Mini Break Podcast, we are eternally grateful for the support we get from our friends at Tennis Point. You hear me say it each and every day, so going to be super, super brief today. Tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. You'll get some perks. You'll let them know we sent you there as well. That's Tennis-point, the symbol, not the spelling, Tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 with all of that said, let's get into it. Ah, what a day of tennis. And, you know, again, the craziest part is we scripted it. We knew it was coming. We knew this was approaching us, the success in particular on the women's side of the top 16 seeds. And it was the first time, I believe, in this century that all of the top 16 seeds ended up reaching the third round of this event. We were one Naomi Osaka upset away through being, you know, all the top 16 seeds surviving into round four as well, at least on the bottom half of the draw. Unfortunately, we're not going to end up getting there, and that's a testament to Layla Fernandez's performance today. She came back. Her back was against the wall. Naomi Osaka had the match on her racket, but in the end, it is Layla Fernandez delivering the upset of the day. She earns a 5-7, 7-6, 6-4 win 
over Naomi Osaka. Now, for those of you who don't know about Layla Fernandez, she is a player who has been on the junior circuit, has been on the radar for the people, you know, the Colette Lewises of the world, the people who track the junior uh, circuit closely. For about four, five years now, you look for her, her big uh, junior results. She wins uh, the Junior French Open, that result of propelling her, obviously, to wild cards, to the sort of status of, oh, okay, the Colette Lewises of the world are writing about me now. And, you know, for her, she then goes on, by the way, before that, she made the Junior Australian Open final, where she lost a two-time WTA titleist, now Clara Tossin. So she was a, you know, a top five junior in the world. There were expectations for her entering her pro career, and she has met those expectations right away. You look for her as a 17-year-old in 2020. She starts the year on fire prior to, you know, COVID shutting things down. She qualifies in Australia before losing to Lauren Davis, but to come through qualifying and to make the qualifying, you know, and to make it to the main draw as a 17-year-old, that's an unequivocal step forward. And what does she do from there? She goes to Acapulco, qualifies for the event, makes the final. And who does she beat along the way? Nina Stojanovic, top 100 now, Potapova, top 100. She gets win over Hibino and Zara Zua as well before losing in three sets to Heather Watson. She then gets a special exemption the next week into Monterey where she goes uh, to the quarterfinals before getting knocked out by eventual champion there, Alina Svitolina. You look for her upon the restart. She plays Lexington, gets in uh, through qualifying, beats Sloane Stevens before getting knocked out by Shelby Rogers. She then goes to Cincinnati, qualifies there. Technically, the Western Southern was in New York that year, but you know qualifies there before a three-set loss to Own Jabour. Wins a match in New York before getting knocked out by Kennan in the second round. Gets into the main draw of Roland Garros, where she wins two rounds. Gets a three-set win over a seed, knocks off Herzog before losing in round three to eventual semifinalist Petra Kvitova. Her debut season, what I'm trying to say, was an unequivocal success, and so Fernandez was on a lot of people's radars. Now, you look for her here this season with her results now. She's 20-15 and 15 overall here in 2021, has played exclusively a WTA schedule, which at 18 years old is a lot to ask out of anyone at that age, and yet... Again, for her here this season, she made another final in Mexico, this time in Monterey at the start of the season. Got a rare hardcourt victory over Sarah Cerebez Tormo on the way to that final. Second round at Roland Garros was her only win at a slam this season. She did beat Yastrzemska in Tokyo before getting knocked out by Krejcikova. She qualified again for the Western Southern Open before getting knocked out first round by Allison Risk. But it's definitely been, you know, holding steady. For Leila Fernandez here this season, you look at her record overall against, you know, players outside the top 100 here this season. Leila Fernandez currently 8-5 and five against players ranked outside the top 100. However, she's, you know, uh, against players inside the top 100. She's 10-10. and 10. She's proven she's belonged there uh, now 5-7 and seven here, excuse me, against players ranked inside the top 50. So she's she's in between that range. She hasn't made that big categorical leap through, and that's why this result against Osaka feels a little bit unexpected, because unlike a Clara Tawson, who's won two WTA titles, and you look at the list of players under the age of 18 right now on the WTA Tour, it's absolutely frightening. Of course, leading that list is Coco Gauff, who was knocked out of this event, but you know was top 12 in the race to the year-end finals, top 12 by the advanced metrics via 
tennis abstract. You've also now got Layla Fernandez, who with this win up to number 52, you've got Clara Tossin, who got knocked off. Impressive match, though. Two titles this year. Second round U.S. Open appearance for her. Amarata Kanu still alive in this event as well. There are just so many talented players right now. Honestly, you want to extend that to even under the age of 21 because someone who is 21 right now will start the 2030s decade under the age of 30. You've got Iga, Goff, Fernandez, Kostyuk, Tossin, Maria Camilla Osorio Serrano, who I'm not saying is going to be a Grand Slam champion, but is going to be very good. We've seen Amanda Nisimova make a semifinal of a slam. You get players like Burrell and Rakimova and, you know, Katie McNally's of the world in the mix there as well. There's just so much talent across generations right now on the WTA Tour. But of course, all of that is just to introduce who Layla Fernandez is to all of you listeners. Because again, that's to say while this result's certainly surprising, not completely unexpected. This was the breakthrough result we've been waiting for from the young Canadian. And she got Osaka at exactly the right time because, look, while Osaka was excellent in Australia, since the Australian Open, Naomi Osaka has played a grand total. She goes Miami quarterfinals, Madrid, Rome, Roland Garros, Tokyo, Cincinnati. She's played six total matches in the subsequent, what, six months since winning the Australian Open title. That's just not a lot of tennis on her resume here, and you look for her coming into this event. Perhaps, it, you know, I saw it tweeted at the time by other people, so I don't want people to think I'm stealing tweets, but I agreed with the point when people were making it. Uh, I actually think it was a major, you know, uh, detraction for her, a major issue, not issue, but it, it sucked that she got a withdraw from the second round because she was looking to find her match leg. She was looking to find her rhythm, and she faced someone in Leila Fernandez who has that rhythm, who has played, as I mentioned here, this season, uh, you know, a bunch of different matches. Leila Fernandez in 2021, 18 and 15, she's played 15 different events, and that's more than Naomi Osaka has played, and you look for Leila Fernandez, she got pushed in her first two rounds of this uh, U.S. Open, knocking off Anaconia round one, off knocking off Kanepi in a tricky match in round number two. She was ready for the level in this play from the start, and it's a credit to Naomi Osaka, who came out serving bombs. I mean, made 65% of her first serve, six aces, 18 of 20 on first serve points. Fernandez wasn't quite ready for that pace, because while Kanepi hits a big ball, while Konya hits a big ball, no one hits the serve on, in the women's game right now, except for maybe Sabalenka, quite like Naomi Osaka, and she came out firing, and to Fernandez's credit, she kept pace with Osaka throughout the course of that first set, wasn't broken through her first five service games, but then, you know, six of seven on second serve points in the, in that first set as well, she was finding answers, she plays one loose service game, that's literally what it was, one loose service game, floated a couple of serves in the box for Osaka to hit cleanly, and by the way, credit to Osaka, who did hit them cleanly, six winners against 11 unforced errors for her in set number one. She was the one dictating. She was the one on her front foot. That carried over into set number two, where you look for the two of them. They traded breaks. That was it. And for Osaka, she got her break. She was in control of the second set. And you look for her, same deal. Made 71% of her first serves, 83% of her first serve points won. She uh, was 3 of 10 on second serve points. And again, blinked. She blinked in that in, in the game where she was broken. That was the game where you know she missed 10 serves in the, in the uh, entire second set. I believe she missed three of them. Or excuse me, I believe she missed five of them 
in the game she was broken. You know, that's the difference in this match. That's how high a level. And the thing that's most impressive is that Layla Fernandez matched Osaka stroke for stroke. And there's no doubt in that third set, Osaka's level dipped. And I would turn to the serve, which was, you know, the number to watch for her. Because in Naomi Osaka's performances leading up to this event, uh, you look in her first round match against Buzkova, she made 47% of her first serves. She made 51% against Teichman in her loss at the Western Southern Open, 57% against Goff in her her first round victory that's just not the winning number for her yes she can get away with it but she plays her winning tennis when she's in that 60 to 7 percent range that's when she becomes untouchable Naomi and for the first set and a half in this match she was untouchable Naomi yes Fernandez was keeping pace but it just felt like okay Naomi's found the gear here and again set number one 65% of the first serves go in. She's 18 of 20 on those points. Set number two, 71% of her first serves go in. She was 20 of 24. She was good enough to get the job done, but the moment that match went to a tiebreaker in the crowd, it didn't necessarily turn on her, but they just wanted to see more tennis, and they were inspired by the young Fernandez, who takes every ball inside the court, takes it early, a beautiful lefty game, and, you know, these courts are playing fast. I've mentioned that a couple of days in a row here now, but you know who benefits from a fast court someone who grew up in freaking Canada like Layla Fernandez did where you're indoors six months of the year there's a reason we see her still alive FAA still alive Shapovalov still alive Opelka still alive these courts are playing quick and that benefits Layla Fernandez who was on top of everything trying to take the return of serve early in the court and just, you know, taking her, you know, when she was going her forehand to Naomi's backhand she was not afraid to take that ball early on the rise down the line and you know, force Naomi to make some magic in the outer thirds of the court with her on-the-run forehand. And while Naomi absolutely can and did at points of this match, that's not what she wants to be doing. She wants to be in the center of the court dictating, using her first shot, whether it be her serve or her return, to set up everything else. And Fernandez didn't let her do that. Fernandez stayed aggressive. She kept swinging down the home stretch for her to, you know, again, close the match out the way that she did was so, so impressive. And I talk about Naomi's numbers. When you're trying to upset a top seed in a primetime match on Arthur Ashe, you probably want to make north of 65% of your first serves. Layla Fernandez in this match, and it's not like her first serve's a heater. Her first and second serve pretty similar. It's Sariba's Tormo-ish in that fashion. But guess what? What are we learning with Fernandez and Sariba's Tormo and Jensen Brooksby on the men's side? Death by high percentage? Are we figuring out are are a generation of James Hardens who have cracked tennis by math about to come up the rankings? The answer's not yes, but it's not no either. For Layla in this match, 80% of her first serves go in. She wins 78% of those points. From a math perspective, you're going to be in the match if you're playing that high percentage. She wins 53% of her uh, second serve points, 28 winners against 24 unforced errors. You look for Naomi, 37 winners against 36 unforced errors. Now, these were not... 10, 15 shot rallies. These points were happening pretty quick. And credit to Fernandez for an 18 year old to be able to execute that high degree of a difficulty game on this sort of stage, first time in her career. You just can't give Fernandez enough credit. So she wins 5 7, 7, 6, 6, 4 to advance to her first of what will likely be many fourth rounds here in her career. You look for Fernandez with this win. I already mentioned it. Uh, but in the live rankings now, she moves 
moves up to a new career high of number 52. You look for her in the race to the year-end finals. Leila Fernandez now all the way up to number 51 here this season. That's about right. You look at the advanced metrics via our friends at Tennis Abstract right now. Coming into this event, Leila Fernandez uh, was, I believe, number 80. In overall, Elo, you look for a 2021 specific. She was 69. This sort of result, and again, I, I mentioned the numbers earlier, so I apologize for repeating myself, but, you know, 10 and 10 against top 50 opponents here this season. Uh, now, after this U.S. Open, she moves up, I believe, to it'll be 12 and 10. That's solid. You're in the conversation. And at 18 years old, to be in the conversation of the top 50 when the quality of the top 50 has never been higher, that speaks to the talent, the well-rounded nature. Again, she was a junior French Open champion. This success coming on hard court, she did make last season that third round at the French Open. She's got talents, folks. I think she's going to be a really good grass court player throughout her career as well. You look for her this year at Wimbledon was a first set loss to Yelena Ostapenko, who was playing so well. She was everyone's dark horse heading into that event. So again, this is the first big breakthrough for Fernandez, but she was destined for this. She's been sniffing around on hard courts, two WTA finals already by the age of 18, and has had some slam success before. Obviously, this is the biggest win of her career, uh, but she's earned it, and she gets the victory over Naomi Osaka. Again, a three-set win for her, 5-7-7-6-6-4. Now, to quickly put a bow on the Naomi Osaka season, because I don't know if we're going to see her again here in 2021 and you look for Osaka I mentioned in total she's played eight events this year she's 18 and five in those eight events has ended up unfortunately having to withdraw out of I believe uh one two three of the eight events she's played Roland Garros uh she did it in uh I believe Miami oh no no she got a withdraw win so two of the eight events okay so scratch that point leave it in Westoff but the point being only eight events here this season we have had more opportunities than that for her to play and she's been very open it's because it's she's struggling mentally on the court and it's just she's not finding joy in playing tennis and she's putting ungodly amounts of pressure on herself the sort of pressure you put on yourself when you are the highest growing grossing female athlete in the world and one can't even begin to imagine the sort of pressures when you have a netflix release and you're on the photo cover of magazines and you know, again, your commercials, the commercial they play each and every commercial break during this U.S. Open, ungodly amounts of pressure. And so she said after the match, you know, I don't enjoy winning. It feels like a relief. And when I lose, I get really sad. And I don't know when I'm going to go on, when I'm going to find myself competing on the court next. And obviously that's devastating for us tennis fans to hear because again she didn't we didn't get the chance to see an informed Naomi here on the North American hard court she never really found her sea leg she played you know five matches including Tokyo in the build-up to this U.S. Open and I really cannot stress enough how much I think it hurt her campaign here that she didn't get to play the match against Danilovic that she didn't have just those extra repetitions before the tough toss test in Leila Fernandez and yet she still almost won this match. And yet she still had the racket on her match in the second set. Excuse me. I just think for Naomi Osaka, the key is for her to find joy in tennis. Because when she is finding joy, we saw it in Australia this year. We saw it in New York at the end of last season. She can hit a gear 
that no one else, not even right now Sabalenka, although I do think Sabalenka can get there, but that's a discussion for a little bit later, uh, but she can hit a gear that no one else, not even Ashley Barty can hit because Naomi Osaka, uh, the power tennis she can play, what she can do with her serve, the power and the speed of her first step, you know, again, the consistency, the angle she can build with her uh, backhand, how unpredictable it is, the unpredictability of the forehand as well. Now, yes, that serves, uh, that swings a little bit bigger, but you'd have thought on the these fast courts it would have played even more to her strengths but look as fans I get it of course we want to see Naomi Osaka on court at the same time we want to see a locked in Naomi Osaka we don't want to see a Naomi Osaka who looks like she doesn't want to be there a Naomi Osaka who is clearly struggling uh you know with herself on court we don't want that we want Naomi Osaka to be in the right place and thankfully we are at a point right now where there are enough names and, in my opinion, enough stars. Now, of course, the game invariably suffers when it doesn't have its biggest star, but there are enough stars, enough compelling storylines that women's tennis will be okay without Naomi Osaka. And I think that's the biggest thing is to remind her that she, while, of course, we love to see her on court, she has no obligation to us and we will be okay. The sport will continue without her. She shouldn't feel the pressure like she needs to be out there. She needs to be performing for us fans as at all times uh, because, again, when you put those sorts of expectations on someone, what do you expect to happen? And so, you know, obviously here at Crack Rackets, we will be wishing Naomi Osaka, you know, all of the time she needs, all of the health and support she can get uh, to get to a point where she can be back on court clear of mind and competing to the best of her ability because she's not there right now and it's reflected in her scheduling and it's reflected it subsequently in her performance on court, not trying to take anything away from Layla Fernandez because, again, Layla Fernandez, that's why I started with her. That's why we've done 18 minutes on this match. She is the story to me but there is no doubt uh, Naomi Osaka is just not at a place where she can play her best tennis and so she's going to take some time to try and get herself to a place where she can be as tennis fans we should completely understand that decision but that's your big I suppose headline result on the day Uh, although they're all headlines I mean seriously we are 23 minutes in I'm looking at my rundown here which was impossible to create because I'm like all right you probably have to start the show with Osaka she was the defending champ she was someone in the conversation not just to have success here but win this event but of course on a day where your top your two top eight seeds in a single quarter are eliminated that's normally the headline and in the Stefano Tsitsipas quarter of the draw we see both he and number five seed Andre Rublev eliminated on this day by two of fellow young stars in the game in Carlos Alcaraz and Francis Tiafo. and we have to talk about Carlos Alcaraz next because what Carlos Alcaraz is doing here in this you know 18 month stretch of his is downright silly. Let's just quickly recap what the 18-year-old Alcaraz has done here over these past 18 months of play before we talk specifically about his win today over Tsitsipas. You look for the Spaniard here, 35-15 and 15 in the 2021 season. But if you want to date back to that, let's go just since the start of 2020. He played three Futures events in January, won two of them, made a final at the other. He then goes to the challenger level upon the restart of play, makes three challenge, excuse me, wins three challenger titles, makes a fourth final as well, all in 2020 as a 17-year-old. He's on lists of the best, you know, youngest challenger and best results. The lists all now 
are Richard Gasquet, who I've said it before is the best 16, 17-year-old in ATP Tour history. The lists are Gasquet, Rafa, Djokovic, Del Potro, FAA, and Alcaraz. Those are the guys with, you know, two, three challenger titles before they turn 18 years old. You then look for Alcaraz here this season. He's been ridiculous at the ATP level. Again, making his first career semifinal in Marbella back in April. He then wins his first title in Umag in 2021. You look for him overall in his career now. He's 20 and 14. In ATP Tour level matches. Again, an 18 year old who is 20 and 14 in ATP Tour matches already has an ATP title under his belt now. Already has, you know, two third rounds at Grand Slams. He did it at the French Open, does it here at the U.S. Open, and now he beats Pass as well. And, you know, again, I want to get even more granular because you look for Alcaraz, he's 94 and 33 overall in his career now in pro level matches now of course it started out at the futures then to the challengers now to the atp level but he's won 70 percent of his matches he belongs at the atp level already look at his breakdown by splits uh he's now two and three in his career against top 20 opponents but you look for him against the top 50 here this season carlos alcaraz now nine and six overall so again he's winning 60 percent of his matches against top 50 opponents he came into this event ranked number 55 in the world you look with this result his first second week at a Grand Slam. He is up to a new career high of number 50 in the live rankings. You look for him in the race to the year-end finals. He's 30th in terms of total points accumulated. Yeah, he belongs in that discussion. 18 years old, already a top 50 player. You just don't say that about many guys before, you know, of the next-gen generation. It was Chorich. It was Zverev. It was guys like, you know, Shapo, Tsitsipas, That's really it. Those were the guys who were top 50 by the time they were 18 years old. Alcaraz is on that short list of guys who are able to do it. Of course, you want to talk now about his match, his performance here today against Stefano Tsitsipas, as in so many of his matches, what stands out immediately is the forehand. That thing is a freaking bazooka. I mean, from an eye test perspective, I think anyone, it doesn't matter if you are the, you know, the staunchest supporter of tennis, you're watching future streams, challenger streams, junior action, you're watching anything you can get your eyes on, you'll notice it. Or a person who has never seen tennis in their life can walk out to a court, watch two players play, even someone with the forehand as capable of Tsitsipas, and just go... Who's that guy that kind of looks like, you know, an uglier Cristiano Ronaldo, but hits the forehand like a bazooka? And you'll be like, oh, that's Carlos Alcaraz, the 18-year-old Spaniard, who's one of the rising talents in the men's game. And you look for Alcaraz today, that his weapons are already effective against 99% of opponents just speaks to his racket talent. And you look for him today against Tsitsipas, who I spent all this time over the past couple of weeks talking about how much better he's gotten as a mover. Well, Alcaraz hit 61 winners against Tsitsipas today, won 64% of his first serve points, 60 per, uh, excuse me, 60% of his first serve points, 60% of his second serve points, a sneaky efficient 61%, 19 of 31 at the net. Again, 61 freaking winners against 48 unforced errors, but he's plus 13 to Tsitsipas' plus 9. This match was played on Carlos Alcaraz's terms. Now, again, you look 
fourth set, obviously, Tsitsipas steamrolls him, and that was where the 18-year-old Alcaraz sort of showed, you know, I'm going to let this one get away from me, and that's what happens when you're 18 years old. You let sets get away from you, and credit to Tsitsipas, who was clearly nursing a left ankle injury. You could tell it bothered him to slide, bothered him a little bit to move that direction. At the same time, he tried to make this match physical. He tried to push the 18-year-old. He tried to make a bet that, hey, you can't keep making that forehand inside out. You can't keep jamming my body with first serves to set up first forehands but guess what the answer today to Carlos Alcaraz was yes yes I can and you know the forehand returns he came up with in that fifth set tiebreak the returns he came up with in the third set tiebreak and just the continued pressure he put on Tsitsipas you know the what makes Carlos Alcaraz so scary is he goes you know if you give him if you float the return he's unloading a first forehand and much like Rafa which I don't know if you heard the commentator say it today, but I think that's his inspiration, folks. But he can just take that first forehand wherever he wants to go. Cross court, inside out, short angle, heavy flat at your body. He can just do anything he wants with that forehand at an elite of the elite level. And then he starts mixing in the drop shots. He can drive the backhand down the line, and he did that with success today. But he will also just as likely chip it as a drop shot or hit it short angle and just open up court for himself. Much like an Andre Rublev, he can find a forehand from just about anywhere on the court. And again, that forehand was the biggest weapon today against the number three player in the world in Stefano Tsitsipas. And this was not Tsitsipas's best performance, although he wanted this match. The way he competed, the way he fights, you can say a lot of things about Tsitsipas and the crowd was on him today. Whenever they went, he went to the bathroom, they started booing. They were chirping him all these different things someone in the crowd yells send him to the bathroom which was honestly kind of funny um but you know whatever that is what it is we've talked about that enough i don't want to spend any more time here after 3 a.m going into bathroom gate once more but Tsitsipas was in this. He kept scrapping. He kept putting pressure. He kept holding pace and holding serve. You look for these two players in that fifth set for Carlos Alcaraz. He was not broken. And not only was he not broken, he only faced one break point in the set. Alcaraz won 79% of his first serve points in that fifth set. He made 75% of his first serves. 18 winners against just six unforced errors. Now, again, if Tsitsipas... 18 of 20 on first serve points, 9 of 15 on second serve points, did not actually face a break point in the fifth set. And it came down to a buster. And that the 18-year-old Spaniard had the gumption to execute on this stage in this moment. And if you read the pre-match interviews, you read Carlos Alcaraz in press saying, well, I hope me and Tsitsipas get to play on Arthur Ashe because I would love that sort of experience. Well, guess what? He got that sort of experience. And you look for Alcaraz. I've said it. I, you know, I already kind of went through these numbers. But just for him now, 35 and 15 here in 2021, uh, you look for him now in terms of – I already mentioned the live rankings number. But for him in terms of the overall, the ELO ratings, uh, they already have Carlos Alcaraz up to 19th overall. They have him 17th in terms of his 2021 specific results. You look for him according to the Tennis Abstract U.S. Open forecast – Alcaraz going to be a 76% favorite to advance to the quarterfinals against his opponent qualifier, Peter Gojewitz. I mean, is there any reason to doubt that fact for Carlos Alcaraz, who had all of that challenger success on clay courts last year, right? Well, you look for him now in his career, and again, I'll keep mentioning the number 90 freaking four 
although that's incorrect. It's 96 and 33 now to start his career across levels. Well, yes, all of that challenger success came on clay courts, but he's now 27 and 9 in his career on hard courts as well. 27 and 9, folks. He's winning, you know, what is that? Uh, two more. So I want to say it's like 80%. Or something crazy. Yeah, 80% of his hardcore matches. That's ridiculous. That's just – this guy's the real deal. Again, we, we joke about the 2030s Grand Slam champions, but he's part of the usurpers. You know, it, it's Sinner, it's FAA, it's Alcaraz, and all three of those guys have the chance to make the fourth round at this U.S. Open. We're ready for the next gen to take over, but the usurpers might want their time in the sun right now. Carlos Alcaraz was fantastic. He advances again, 6-3, over third-seeded Stefano Tsitsipas. Now, of course, it was a disappointing ending for Tsitsipas here this season. You look for him uh, at the Grand Slams. You look for him down the home stretch. The first-round loss to Francis Tiafo at Wimbledon. Then picked up, you know, picked up his level. Make semifinals in Canada. Make semifinals in Cincinnati. Three set losses in both of those semifinals to Opelka and Zverev, respectively. He got wins over Umber, Hachinov, Rude, Korda, F.A., Sanego. He knocked off all the check marks heading into this U.S. Open, and yet whether it was injuries, whether it was just, you know, the whole bathroom break situation, getting to him mentally, just all of it, he felt a little bit worn down in this match from the start. And you look for Stefano Tsitsipas, he's 60-21 and 21 in his last 52 weeks. That's a ridiculous number, 74% win percentage. You look for him in terms of the total amount of finals he's made over that stretch of time. He's made six total finals, won two titles, so, you know, 23 events. You've that That's a pretty good number. He's made quarterfinals in 15 of the 23 events he's played but 81 matches in a 52 week stretch that's absurd that's too much tennis and so I would like to see him scale it back of course he'll play Indian Wells I'm sure he'll play Paris I'm sure he'll play the year-end finals I don't know if there's going to be an Asian swing or not but other than the big events Tsitsipas has enough uh, tennis on his body over these past 52 weeks and he is only 23 years old but as we've seen for Dominic Team here this season, the miles can add up real quick on you. Injuries can become lingering. I don't think the ankle injury that he was nursing today is serious, but again, I do think part of this loss today was he is a little bit worn down, and when you have a little bit dead legs, you know what's going to be miserable to deal with is the forehand of Carlos Alcaraz. So I'm not saying this was a schedule loss, but it was kind of a schedule loss. Like prepping for the fourth year of a Grand Slam is something a 23-year-old is going to have to get better to pace himself over the course of the season, and of course, for Stefano Tsitsipas, giving everything he has, match in, match out, day in, day out, that defines him and his young career. But, you know, today, Carlos Alcaraz, just the weight of his ball, it, it wore Tsitsipas down, or at least Tsitsipas didn't have any answers for it. And so, again, credit to Alcaraz to take it to the number three player in the world at 18 years old. You belong, my friend, at the ATP level. He advances to his first round number four, where again, he is going to be favored over Peter Gojewicz. But with that in mind, one more breakdown for all of you. 
I have to talk a little bit about Francis Tiafo. We talk a lot about Tiafo here on this show, so I'll just quickly run you through the numbers for him now this season. 21 and 18 in ATP level matches, 28 and 21. That's missing two U.S. Open wins, so now uh, 23 and 18 in ATP matches, 30 and 21 overall on the season. So he's winning about 60% of his matches, came into this ranked uh, 50th in the world, but with this victory now, Tiafo moves that is hilarious. In the live rankings, he's moved down because he made round of 16 last year as well. And so he doesn't get the subsequent boost that some of these other players has. So he's still now number 52 in the rankings. You look for him, though, 35th in the race to the year-end finals. You look for him. 47th in terms of overall ELO. He's 30th this year in terms of 2021 specific ELO. I think he's been closer to those latter two numbers. He's certainly back in the top 50 and it's different than it was the first time he cracked the top 50. And I talked about this when we had Chris Otto on uh, for our State of the American Men's Tennis podcast prior to the U.S. Open, but it's just been the way he's done it this season. You know, he's really, after someone who struggled with first-round losses so frequently throughout the course of the uh, his career, Francis has lost first round just five times this year in 18 different, now 19 different total events. I mean, that doesn't sound like crazy, but only losing first round five times in 19 total events, just getting that second match is how you keep a top 50 ranking. And you look for him, you know, he won a challenger title earlier this season. Oh, again, I'm looking at just the ATP level matches. But again, that's his success at the ATP level. He also won a challenger title earlier this season in Nottingham. Beat Tsitsipas at Wimbledon. Now gets this win over Rublev here at the U.S. Open. For him at Wimbledon was round of 32. For him earlier this season, Australia was a second round. Uh, Four-set loss to Novak Djokovic. You look for him at Roland Garros. Came back from two sets to love down, but ended up losing in five to Stevie Johnson. Qualifies in Canada before bowing out in the round of 16. Wins a match in Cincinnati before losing to Diego Schwartzman in three. The point being, again, Francis Tiafo, you know, he won the Challengers. He's or he's had super success at the Challengers he's played, and he's having consistency at the ATP level. And then he mixes in the Grand Slam results, and Francis Tiafo has always been a primetime performer. And if you followed Francis, you know this is the victory. This is the stage he's been looking to play on and he's been looking to have success on his entire career. There is no one in men's tennis who does a better job of engaging a crowd than a locked-in Francis Tiafo, and that's what he was tonight from the start. And you look for Tiafo, the biggest jump he's made here this season, hold percentage 81.5, that's a career high by 2%. Break percentage uh, 20%, that's a career high by 1.6%. But you look for him, the big thing is the first serve. He's winning 71.3% of his first serve points this season on the ATP Tour. That's a career high for him. You look for him tonight against Rublev, 82 of 110, 75% win percentage. That was the difference in this match because he only won 43% of his second serve points. He faced 14 break points in the match. Uh, He also created 14 break point chances for himself. And you look at the difference in this one. Again, Francis was 5 of 14. Andre Rublev was 4 of 14. Francis won 170 total points in this match. Rublev won 168. 
Francis hit 70 winners in this match, though, to Rublev's 61, 59 unforced errors to the 39 Rublev hit. This match was on Francis's terms. He was doing the dictating throughout the three hours, 45 minutes in his 4-6-6-3-7-6-4-6-6-1 win over Rublev today. He had 24 aces against only eight double faults. And let's be clear, in that fourth set and even in the fifth set as well when he was having success, Francis was going after the second serve. There was no, you know, let me just try and kick this one in and get the point started. Because the longer the point, the more Rublev is it, uh, Rublev's advantages manifested themselves. But Francis, you know, there was a point, I think they were midway through the fourth set where Mary Carrillo mentioned the fact the average rally per shot uh, per point was three shots per rally. That feels about right. And that's the tennis Tiafo needed to play today. And you look for him, 37 of 52 at the net, 71% conversion rate. He put so much pressure on Andre Rublev. He didn't let Rublev find his rhythm from the baseline. He didn't let Rublev just slam forehands back there. Or, you know, he didn't just try to lull Rublev into the backhand rallies and then try and open up space for himself and wear down Rublev's backhand because Rublev's seen that game plan a million times. No, what Francis did was take the ball early, whether it was second serve returns where he held Rublev to 24 of 56, a 43% win percentage on second serve points for the night, whether it was just, again, hitting the slice, hitting the drop shot, following it in, doing all the different things Francis does. Such a creative game style. He really does have every tool in the toolbox. He is capable of doing every different thing on the tennis court, the slices, the volleys, the drop shots, the -the down-the-line winners. But to me, what stood out so impressively, and I get back to that 37 of 52 at the net, 71% conversion rate, 70 winners for Tiafo tonight, 56 if you take out the 24 aces. It was the vitriol and the efficiency with which he hit his forehand approach shot. And for Francis Tiafo, you date back to the start because you still see the hitch, you still see the extreme grip. Early in his career, especially after he was figured out in his initial breakthrough into the top 30 after his run you know, to the Delray Beach title, his initial run at the Australian Open, uh, they everyone was just hitting big serves, heavy pace to the forehand, forcing him to hit slices, forcing him to be on his back foot, not letting him play front foot assertive tennis. His forehand, I mean, he I don't want to say he played Rublev even, but he played Rublev about as close to even forehand to forehand tonight as you could have expected. And he hit his forehand approach shots so effectively, changed shots with them cross court down the line to the Rublev forehand, backhand, then got to mix in the drop shot as well. Of course, that also would set him up for easy plus one volleys. And even when they're not easy first volleys, he's so creative and so explosive and such good hands at the net that he can still do something special with the first volley. Francis had it all on display. And, you know, it did feel at times that when he engaged the crowd, it almost distracted him because then Rublev would seemingly break right back in sets three. You know, he served for the set in set three, Rublev breaks right back. And it felt like Tiafa was about to run away with the fourth set and the fifth set. Rublev first got the break back in set four. Then in set number five, it, you know, it felt like Rublev almost found his rhythm. But why Tiafa engaging the crowd worked the anger in Andre Rublev's face every time the crowd would clap after Tiafo point one because they would cra- clap after Rublev unforced error. There was even clapping and a double fault. You know, it got rowdy after 1 a.m. in New York. You can expect that to happen. And I think it got under Rublev's skin a little bit. And just, again, between that and how well Tiafo was playing, it was a recipe for success. 
for Francis Tiafo, and you look for him now for Tiafo at the slams because I mentioned it again for him. Third round this year at Wimbledon, third round for him, uh, or excuse me, second round Australian Open, first round at the French Open. You look for him now in his career, though, uh, at the slams. I mean, this is another round of 16 for him. He made quarterfinals 2019 Australian Open. He made round of 16 last year's U.S. Open. He now makes round of 16 again at this year's U.S. Open. We're seeing a theme here. Round of 16 at three of the last five hard court slams. And the opportunity to go to the quarterfinals as you look for Tiafo now, he is going to be also, uh, you know, it's, he, he's got Felix Ogier-Aliassime, a guy he knows well. And that's a fascinating round of 16 match. But, I mean, you look for Francis in his career now, 2-6 and six here this season against top 20 players. His wins coming over Tsitsipas at Wimbledon, Shapovalov in Canada, and now Rublev here at the U.S. Open. You look for him in his career against top 10 players, 2-4, and four, now 3-4 and four here this season, 6-22. and 22. That's hilarious. 6-22 and 22 overall in his career, but I, it, you look for him in some of those matches, you know, I, it just, just feel like he does play them close, that he's a primetime performer. You know, five-set loss to zero of 2019 U.S. Open. Uh, Four-set loss to Djokovic this year in Australia. Four-set loss to Medvedev in Australia in 2020. In the biggest stages, we get the best Francis Tiafo, and that's all we can ask for as tennis fans. The five-set loss to Federer, who could forget that, back in 2017 as well. And it's just, you know... All those lumps he took early in his career, now he's 23 years old. Now he's ready to get over the hump, ready to, as I said, play big in the biggest moments. The weapons have always been there. The physicality has always been there. He, You look for Francis in his career now at Grand Slams. I believe he advances, let's see, Francis Tiafo in his career at Slams. Uh, 25 and 24 now overall. And again, he's still only 23 years old. He's just back re-entering the top 15, and he has a winning record in his career at the Slams. You do not say that about many players who, you know, stay inside. You know, if you're going to stay inside the top 30, you will have that success. You will have a winning record at Slams. You don't say that for players who are ranked outside the top 50, ranked outside the top 75. So again, this return to form for Francis here this season, I think it is a sign of things to come. Certainly a disappointing ending for Andre Rublev, disappointing slams for him here in 2021. You look for Rublev at the three, uh, at the four slams. He, you know, I thought was solid in Australia. Quarterfinals there, he brought the momentum he built last year into this season. So solid through the Monte Carlo run, the final in Hala, final in Cincinnati as well. But you look for him at the slams. You know, French Open was a first-round loss to Jan Leonard Struff in five sets. Wimbledon, fourth-round, five-set loss to Marto. Fucevic here at the U.S. Open, you know, third round, five set loss to Francis Tiafo. It just, again, French Open match felt like he should have won. Wimbledon match felt like he should have won. Tiafo match felt like he should have won. And yet the lack of a plan B, the lack of a plan C, when things get a little bit sticky for Rublev in these matches, that's why he's not able to escape when he's not playing his very best tennis or he just doesn't have that thing to shift gears on opponents, make them rethink their strategy. You know what you're going to have to do against Andre Rublev because his game plan is so glaring. And Tiafo was able to match that. And Tiafo was able to bring his best. And Tiafo ultimately able to advance advance now to the fourth round of the U.S. Open, where again, he's got a matchup with Felix Ogier-Aliassime. I'll talk about that matchup momentarily. 
unfortunately, we're 50 minutes into this podcast. Do you guys want me to break down all these matches? I mean, I can break them all down. Into, you know what? Let's just keep going here. I know it's late. I'm rambling to myself. I'm asking you questions as if I'm going to hear an answer through the microphone. Yes, Alex, break it into two parts. And that's what super produ- – the, the truth is when I ask you that question, that is me hearing in my head Westoff saying, you should have broken it into two parts, Alex. Why wouldn't you do that? Double the content. Double the fun. But – you know what? And by the way, that's I don't know why that's the West Stuff voice. It's because I would never disrespect West Stuff by trying to do an actual impression of him. So that is my I guess that's what I hear. What he t- Anyways, point being, let's keep rocking and rolling more uh, results for us to discuss. Let's go through the three-set women's battles next because we have three other three-set battles outside of Layla Fernandez's three-set upset win over Naomi Osaka. I'll run through them quickly because, you know, again, in terms of the results, Muguruza Vika wasn't the prettiest tennis. It was pretty broken, and that match very much Spider-Man meme in the fact meme me in the fact that both of them long, aggressive baseliners who can hit a gear that few others can match and are gonna take big cuts at the return and are gonna take big cuts at the plus one ball and there were very, you know, there were fluctuations in the level of play. It started out Muguruza was on her front foot and Muguruza just had more rhythm from the baseline and was landing more returns and first serves in the court through set number one. But then Vika found her rhythm in set number two and it felt like she'd captured something with the crowd that Muguruza's game had gone a bit awry and that she was going to run away with set number three. And when she held for two all after Muguruza had pressed her and had a couple of breakpoint chances, you felt like, "Uh uh-oh, that might be Muguruza's window. Maybe from here Vika's going to ride. But no, it wasn't. Muguruza found her top gear, again, just kept swinging freely from the baseline she does have the length and the speed to track down the first strike of even someone who hits the ball as powerful as Vika and she was just more dynamic in the outer thirds today was able to put enough passing shots by Vika who spent a lot of time approaching the net in set number three Muguruza struggled with her serve a lot in the second set but also refound her rhythm there in set number three and you know, again, I've, I've said this all tournament long. Muguruza was arguably the best player in the world through the first third hardcourt uh, portion of this 2021 season. If she can refine that form here, she's getting closer and closer. This was a broken match, but, you know, you know, again, it wasn't her cleanest level of play from start to finish. But in the best moments, she did raise her level of play. It looked like Vika might run away with that second set as well that Muguruza was able even to keep it 6-3. Speaks to how well she was competing. She she advances now to the semifi- uh, semifinals, to the fourth round, where she has a fascinating matchup. Round number three with Barbara Krejcikova. She beat Krejcikova pre-French Open in the finals of, I want to say, Dubai. or It was one of Dubai or Doha. I think it was Dubai, but it might have been Doha. Then Krejcikova beat her in three sets at the Western and Southern Open. So now we get the rubber match. And look, I have a 25-1 to futures bet on Muguruza to win this tournament because I do think her best has been as good as anyone's best I've seen on the WTA Tour this season, and that she won ugly. We've seen her lose some three-set matches, that Krejcikova match, I did, uh, you know, uh, as well as uh, her loss at Wimbledon, but, you know, I just, 
this was a good win. This really was a good win for Garbin Muguruza, uh, who just went down swinging and was finally able to find some rhythm with her first serve. Now, again, Vika didn't play her best, particularly down the home stretch of set number three, where she just was trying to serve in volley and feels like trying to keep Muguruza on the back foot. But credit to Muguruza for not going on that back foot. She advances now to the fourth round. You look uh, for Simona Halep. She might be one of the best stories of this uh, tournament because she also, like Osaka, different reasons, but it hasn't played much tennis here in 2021, and you look for her in terms of 2021-specific ELO. Uh, her number struggles right now. You look for Simona Halep here this season. She currently ranks, I believe, is she even? Yeah, she's number 21, 12-5 entering this event at the U.S. Open. In terms of her overall results here this year, you look for Halep today, she just had just enough sizzle, just enough spice to get through that first set, overcome, you know, she was down breaks in all three sets for uh, today in her matchup against 19 seed Elena Rabakina. Rabakina had her, it felt like, pinned in that second set three love before Halep started digging her way out and just her her forcing Rabakina to work a little bit extra in that second set making it a 6-4 set extending those rallies in those games just making those holds a little bit harder continuing to put pressure there were a bunch of breaks of serve in this match and that was one thing Halep did not serve her best not nearly as well as she did in her first two matches but she just puts so much pressure on you she's going to track down that extra ball she's going to force you to hit one more shot shot each and every rally and that she has this that quality back after just not playing many matches this season and struggling with different lower body injuries which you would imagine limit how much time she can put in the gym and on court she's looked better and better in all three of her victories and now you know she faces an opponent in Svitolina who's not going to be able to hurt her as easily as Rabakina was today and that Halep withstood the test physically of that match that she was able to go three sets and in the third set you know it was she who had that extra gear left in her and not the young Rabakina who has been playing a full two uh, full seasons worth of matches and has her sea legs under her that's just a testament to the fighter that is Simona Halep. And again, the serve looked solid today. Not exceptional. You look at the numbers for Simona Halep here in this match. And again, I mentioned it overall in this match. There were 14 total breaks of serve, 9 plus 10. So there were 19 plus 12. 31 total service games in this match. 19 total breaks of serve. Uh, 14 total breaks of serve. So they're breaking almost 50% of the time. But for Halep, you know, she wins 62% of her first serve points. 24 winners against 36 unforced errors. But she forces Rabakina to have to cover more court. She forces Rabakina into 52 unforced errors against 34 winners. So again, Halep minus 12, but Rabakina minus 18 in a three-cent match. That's what makes the difference. And you look for Simona Halep, again, just a little bit extra pressure on Rabakina. Rabakina 20 of 47 on second serve points. Why does that make the difference? Because Simona Halep made 61% of her first serves. Elena Rabakina only made 51%. When you're playing at the highest levels you know 10 extra second serve points makes all the difference you look for Halep she went 107 total points to Rabakina's 103 so this was a thin margin and again for Lena Rabakina the way she finished the season quarterfinals at Roland Garros round four at Wimbledon before a three-set loss to Sabalenka now a three-set loss to here to a very much informed Simona Halep Elena Rabakina is back and you look for her here now overall in terms of the race to the year-end finals Rabakina 26th but it's it's easy to forget 
she's only 22 years old and she like just turned 22 years old so that she she's already this consistent with her power uh week in week out or at least for this past three month stretch that's a dangerous prospect for the rest of the women's tour that said you know what's even more dangerous the return of health of simona halep who advances to the round of 16 where now she has a date with elena svitolina you look at tennis abstracts odds by the way they have svitolina as the favorite at the start they have svitolina right now 52.6 percent chance to win the match simona halep 47.4 percent of course that's a day seven battle we'll get there down the road the last three set match uh kerber versus stevens Look, Sloan Stevens fought her derriere off, but I believe I saw a stat. Angelique Kerber's like 17-2 and two since Bad Hamburg. Uh, um, survey says 17-2, and two, very, very good. And I know 18-2 and two would be winning 90% of her matches, so she's probably a little bit uh, over that right now, but or a little bit under that maybe right now. But, I mean, damn, that's, that's super, super impressive. And I'm, I've mentioned this when I talked about her. We talked about it in the preview. She's just so fit right now. And fitness has always been such a critical part of Kerber's game, but she's had a ton of injuries of late, and she's not injured right now. She's healthy. She's confident. She's taking the ball early on the rise. She's moving her opponents around. She's absorbing that first strike. She's serving pretty well also. You look for Angelique Kerber today in her match against Sloane Stevens. And again, I mentioned the 14 breaks in this last match. This one had seven breaks of serve over the course of the three sets. But for Kerber, she made 80% of her first serves. When you're making 80% of your first serves, even if you don't have that much firepower, you're just putting yourself in a position to succeed. Now, Sloane made 71% of her first serves and very, very thin margins in this match. 24 winners to 30 unforced in, uh, errors for Kerber, 36 winners to 39 unforced errors for Stevens. But in the end, Kerber just a bit solid, more solid down the home stretch, put that pressure to force Stevens to feel like she had to pull the trigger a little bit earlier in those baseline rallies. But now, Kerber, former champion 2016 here at the U.S. Open, back into the round of 16 with a three-set win over Sloan Stevens. Those are your three-set battles. And again, we said coming into the day, day five was going to be super special. It was. That said, there were some other notable results on the day. Now, as expected, Krejcikova rolled Rakimova in straight sets. She continues to just, you know, she may have the highest floor right now of any non-Ashley Barty player in the women's game, but Sabalenka, showed off why her ceiling is as high as any player in the women's game, and that includes Osaka, and that includes Barty, and that includes Andrescu, and that includes Sviantec. That includes all of them. 3-3 three and three over Danielle Collins today. It felt like it was a win, not if she was going to get that break in the second set, and as quick, you know, as big as Collins hits the ball, as hard a hitter as she is, she was, you know, Sabalenka was just on another level here tonight and you look for arena sabalenka in this three and three victory for her uh her serve was the biggest weapon on the court and it was the difference it was the different difference differentiator between her and collins you look for sabalenka she made 62 percent of her first serves won 79 percent of those first serve points meanwhile collins made only 48 percent of her first serves and only you know she still won 67 percent of her first serve points but she had to play more points on her second serve than she did on her first serve and 17 of 42 on those second serve points. Sabalenka created 10 break chances, converted three of them. Collins only had three break chances, converted none of them. Sabalenka, 34 winners today, 13 unforced errors. She has a gear, and we joke about it all the time, Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club. She has a gear she can hit 
that only, I think, the best Osaka can match. And Sabalenka hasn't hit that gear frequently enough to be considered in that conversation. And she hasn't done it at the latest stage of a slam quite yet, although she is coming off of a semifinal at Wimbledon. She did just make semifinal run as well in the lead-up to this. Um, But... Man, she played her best match of the tournament, and she reminded everyone, hey, I'm the number two seed for the reason you look for her now in her next matchup. She is going to be a favorite, 59.8% favorite, over 15 seed Elisa Mertens, who, by the way, in her straight set win over Own Jabour, 15 straight third rounds or further for Elisa Mertens in singles and slams. 15 straight. That is the longest streak right now in the women's game epitome of consistency across surfaces. I talk about it with Conteve. I talk about it with Teichman. Mertens is your gateway into the top 50, you know, top 20. Like if if Conteve is your top 32 gateway, you then get through that gate and there's just one more bag check and it's Elisa Mertens to be like, are you sure you're top 20? Can you beat my variety? Can you beat my pace? Can you beat, you know, it's a little bit more pace, a little bit earlier, a little bit flatter. Um, and if you can, then you belong in the top 20. And for her today, just, you know, she broke Jabour down three and five and just stayed so solid throughout the course of the match, took the ball early enough that it didn't let Jabour get into her, you know, rhythm and her patterns and her slice games and so you know credit to Elisa Mertens 15 straight yes slam I've tweeted this slams win glory you know all these different things and titles win headlines but consistency wins careers and Alina Svitolina is well on her way to winning her career Uh, again 15 straight that's absolutely ridiculous for her she advances to the third round for that date, as I mentioned. With Arena Sabalenka, you look at the last results for us to talk about, the other men's results, and these ones, to be honest, not that interesting overall. Daniil Medvedev is officially in the I'm just going to crush everyone on my way to the semifinal stage of his career in hardcourt slams. 0-4-3 in Andahar. I'm not sure if he broke a sweat. Uh, you look for Diego Schwartzman. He rocked and rolled as well, ending the run of super talented breakthrough 23-year-old Alex Mulcan. But for Schwartzman, 4-3-3. Three, and three. I believe now he has made the round of 16 or further at every hardcourt slam since the 2017 season. Again, sneaky consistency is what keeps you in the top 15, folks. You beat who you're supposed to beat, you're going to stay where you want to stay. In the ATP rankings, of course, your other wins, a couple of unseated, less heralded guys, first, fourth round for both Botik Vendison, Sculp, the ever so clever who we've t- I feel like we here at the mini break invented the Vendison Sculp bandwagon. He earns the four set win over Fasundo Bagnus, Peter Gojewitz four set win over Henry Laxon. And again, you have to feel good for both of those guys. And you look for Gojewitz, certainly in his mind, why can't Gojewitz? knock off Carlos Alcaraz. He's the more experienced player. It's an 18-year-old. Please, I eat 18-year-olds for breakfast, says Peter Gojewitz, looking more red in the face than green. Uh, you look for Botic. Again, does Diego Schwarzman have big enough weapons to really not, for Botic to not be able to get into his plays, to mix in the drop shots, mix in the variety? When he looks good, he looks really, really good. So I do think, you know, it's not 90-10% sort of matches. They're 75-25 matches. Yes, they are comfortable underdogs, but the numbers give them a chance. And I do feel feel that's worth noting versus like, you know, Medvedev's a 91.1% favorite against Dan Evans in their round of 16 match. So again, four set victory. 
victories for both of those guys, breakthrough moments in their career, and what this paycheck means to both of them, who are both young guys. Botic, October 4th, 95, two days older than I am. Um, so I, I know what this paycheck would do for me. Uh, so you got to feel good for those two. But again, what a fantastic day on day five. I apologize if I didn't talk enough about any of your favorite matches. If you'd like me to do a separate podcast on Muguruza Vika, Halep, Rubakina, you know, I didn't spend enough time. Oh, I, I don't think if I mentioned FAA over, oh, beat RBA in five sets. I can't believe I forgot to mention that one. I think I may have tangentially mentioned it, but I believe for, uh, FAA was up a break in the third had his chance to go up a break in the fourth, but didn't. Looked like he was going to lose his break in the fifth, but guess what? Quick courts, this surface, this speed, his forehand, his uh, serve. He This match was on his racket, and I tweeted about it, and, you know, again, I discussed it uh, with a bunch of people. I was texting with Max Rothman, former doubles partner, former co-host of the Great Shot Pod, and I was saying, look, RBA plays a game style that he wants to bait his opponent. He is daring you because he knows opponents are going to play to his backhand, and so he's going to try and go inside out, inside out, inside out, and he is baiting you. Go down the line. Attack my on-the-run forehand. See what I can do with it because if, I hit, if you give me an on-the-run forehand and I hit it cleanly, I am going to win the point but you know who you don't give bait to felix ogier aliasim who if you give him time in the center of the court he's got you sort of weapons where it's just like nope i'm gonna beat you because i hit the ball bigger than you i am better than you and if you give me time to show that i'm better than you over time i will show that fact and he showed that fact over five sets and again third fourth round for him at the slams this season. I know he's 0-8 in ATP finals. And when I say that he's made ATP finals is actually more indicative of his career success than the fact that he hasn't won any of those finals. Maybe the fact that he's now made three second weeks here this season at four slams, you know, three in the same season at the age of 20, 21 years old, that will tell you of how special a talent Felix is, that when he puts it together for five, six, seven matches in a row, when he finally does get over that hump and realize, oh man, my serve, my forehand is better than everyone else's. Let me just prove it now in every match that I play. Even in the biggest moments, I can have the confidence knowing that my weapons are still that good because I've seen them get over the finish line before. A win like this, it feels like it felt like an early inflection point sort of match. This feels like the one we saw him lose to Karatsev in Australia. We saw him him lose at the French Open as well, and he gets over the finish line here. And so, again, all the credit in the world to Felix for advancing over RBA. And now he's got a very winnable, you know, he's the favorite to advance to the semifinals in that quarter. You look for that section of the draw. Felix, Francis, Carlos, Gojewitz. Right now, according to Tennis Abstract, Felix, a 38.3% chance to advance. Alcaraz, 32.7. Tiafo, 24.3. If FAA makes a slam semifinal before winning an ATP title, oh, wouldn't that be a beautiful little piece of irony? But that is your day five recap again. If I missed anything, you would like more nuance, we take requests here at Cracked Rackets. You know where to find us at Cracked Rackets, at Great Shot Pod, of course. We do have day six on our hands ahead of us, back half of these third round matches. I previewed and offered my picks on the Great Shot Podcast, so I'll be brief here. On the women's side, 
I mean, they're all pretty good. Like, I don't think we have any elite of the elite matches like we did today. I think we, you know, kind of used them all up here on day number five. But except for Benchich Pegula. Like, that's the match. You have Pegula, who's, you know, 10th in the race to the year on finals. Your Olympic gold medalist in Benchich, who's defending semifinal points here. Two players who have had a lot of success on hard courts in their careers. Pegula's peaked here this season. Benchich is peaking once again here at the end of the season. That should be a fun one. I think that one goes three sets. Kavitova Sakari, by the way. Okay, so we do have two highlight matches. Those are your two blockbusters uh, here on the day. Sviantek Kontave would be a blockbuster, but Sviantek just might be a little bit banged up, so I am a bit worried about that match. But still, if they're both healthy, that's a super, super fun one. Barty versus Rogers. I just think Rogers is a tough matchup for Ash Barty. She's got the sort of power game that, you know, if Ash gives her chances and tries to make the match physical and place some balls down the center of the court, Shelby will say, all right, I'm going big on this forehand. I may miss it, but if she doesn't miss it, if she makes it, she's winning the point. So I think Shelby could definitely give Ashley Barty a little bit of difficulties. I think Cerebus Tornro, you know, is the welcome to the WTA Tour result that Raducanu hasn't had thus far, and raducanu has been exceptional. This is not meant to be a slight on her, but this speaks to how good SST has been of late that I think she runs away with that match tomorrow. Pliskova Tamjanovic, fun. Andrescu Hritmanin, fun. Pavlochenkova Gracheva, I won't watch as much of that match as I will the other matches, but still should be a super fun day of tennis on the women's side. On the men's side, Brooksby Karatsev, you're, I have no idea what that match is going to look like. You have no idea what match that what that match is going to look like, but Jensen Brooksby is the best watch in men's tennis right now, so obviously that's number one on my list. Sinner Monfils, my match of the day. Would Monfils and Svitolina become the first married couple to both make the round of 16 at the same slam? I don't know if the answer is not no, but it could be yes after this result. And I just think Monfils is like, I don't want to lose if I'm going to be here and hang out. Like, if I'm going to be in the tournament, I might as well win the match. And so you, I think we have seen a renewed spirit from him over these past few weeks. And I think he and Sinner, that's a really fun contrast of styles because Sinner's going to give Monfils all the pace and all the spin in the world, and now Monfils just gets to be creative. And that's when he is at his best, so that could be super fun. No one likes watching Alex Virov at this point, but let's be honest, from a tennis standpoint, the environment, his match versus Sock could be fun. I get the appeal of Djokovic Nishikori. I've just seen that match a, li- a million times, so it's fourth on my list. Chapo Harris, fun. Berrettini Avashka, fun. Opelka Basilashvili, fun, but that's a lot of power. First strike, average three shots per rally tennis. Sepiota is Sepiota. So in the end, should be an extraordinary day six at the 2021 U.S. Open. Again, if you have missed out on any of the action, you can catch up on it all on our website, CrackedRackets.com. If you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at CrackedRackets. You want to message me directly, I am at GreatShotPod. A shout-out, as always, to our super producers, Max Ligner and Daniel Westoff, for the f*** of an editing job they do day in, day out. Shout-out as well to our friends at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. The last thing, of course, you're looking for previews. You can find them each and every day on our Great Shot podcast feed with our GSP Ace of the Day segments. But with all of that said, what a fantastic day five of tennis. Hopefully, the action only gets better from here. So with that said, for our super producers, Fligner and Westoff, for our friends at Tennis Point, and from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. 
and we will talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.